0: Hey, what's good? This is Rich, and you're listening to Paychecks and Balances, where we talk making money, saving money, and getting out of debt, all while having some fun along the way. And on today's show, Marcus and I are chatting with Pete Makaitis of How to Be Awesome at Your Job, and his brand name says it all about this episode. We talk about his time in consulting, his financial journey, leap into entrepreneurship, and of course, how to be dope at your gig. And also, special heads up, we're going to be off until the first week of December to get some much needed work done and handle life. Also, we know Thanksgiving's coming up as well, which means family time, food time, recovery time, washed time. So, yes, we'll see you back at the beginning of December. And with that said, here's our chat with Pete, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome to the show, Pete.
1: Oh, thanks. It's great to be here.
0: Yes, it it's almost feels like, you know, we're returning to favor a bit. I know you had us on uh, your show. I cannot remember the episode number, but that was also a great experience. And we talked about negotiation and some other fun things in terms of being able to increase your salary, if I recall. Does that sound right to you?
1: Absolutely. I remember it was huge. Marcus just dropped this bit like, yeah, I can give you a 10% raise to anybody who asks. Like, well, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And so, for people who aren't familiar with your background or aren't familiar with you, tell the family, the P and B family that is a little bit about yourself, man.
1: Oh, sure thing. Well, uh, i'm I'm living here in Chicago. I grew up in in Danville, Illinois. Fun fact, the the cheapest place to live in all of America, according to one uh, online listicle. So that's cool. And I worked at Bain doing strategy consulting for a little while, but for the last 10 years, I've been doing people development stuff. So the the flagship of that operation is the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, which you graced us with your presence. Thank you. And then there's also sort of training and coaching and workshops, mostly for professionals who are looking to uh, think smarter and collaborate better.
0: Got you, got you. And we'll definitely talk a bit about uh, the podcast and also how people can be awesome at their jobs. And let's talk a little bit about the the time in corporate America. I know that was some years ago. It might be a, a time that you don't want to talk about anymore or want to forget or mark as part of your distant past. But there's a lot of thoughts that people have about the consulting world. So you, can you talk a little bit about your experience in the consulting life? I think some folks think that it's presenting reports and smoozing all day and jet setting across the country and going in and auditing, stuff like that. And I know that that's part of it, but what were you doing specifically in the consulting world?
1: You know, I love it the way you phrase that because I'm thinking about one time we were doing a recruiting session and we tried to make it like an ask me anything kind of a thing. And one of my favorite questions we got submitted anonymously via note cards was, what's sexy about consulting? (laughs) and And I remember whenever I had just like a ridiculous consulting moment, I would think about that. So so one thing that was sexy was we had a, a project in Vegas and we were had the rental car gave us these Land Rovers <laughs> as, as the vehicle they had. It was like, now that's pretty cool. Just cruising in Vegas in a Land Rover. Yeah, that's, that's consulting. But what's also consulting is being in a windowless room in a cookie cracker plant, wearing a hairnet and eating cereal with a plastic spork from a styrofoam cup in a vending machine. And... <laughs> I was like, this is sexy about consulting. So it really is. It's a a bit of everything. But I think what I loved the most was, well, fundamentally what we do is in in strategy consulting, it's about coming up with solutions. And at Bain in particular, we had a big focus on, we even said, you know, results, not reports and figuring out ways that our companies, our clients there could become more valuable and more profitable. So uh, to that end, there was a lot of work associated with, with spreadsheets, you know, figured out where some opportunity for revenue growth or cost cutting and interviews with folks and slides, lots and lots of slides and uh, revisions of those slides many times over to ultimately uh, present a, a pathway to executives. So they'd say, yes, that sounds great. We will do that and then realize uh, increased profits so that they're, satisfied paying millions of dollars to a a small consulting team for those slides. I
2: I have a question there. It comes from a place of PTSD, so I open with that bias. So now, 10 years into my career, I I work in the public sector. I have the fortunate or unfortunate experience of having a lot of uh, consultants come in and best I can tell, we never implement it for some, for some reason. So I really like the results, not reports. We get these great reports. They're really great. And I, I mean, literally the information that comes out, I'm like, this would fix every problem we have. But usually our solution is to either do a study, make a committee or hire more consultants. So do you see that as part one? And then part two, do you see crossover into fundamentally the human condition that the inaction tends to be the problem, not the results, not reports?
1: That is a fantastic question. And I would say that it, it does go both ways. I've absolutely seen while I was working before my very eyes improvements like in that manufacturing plant, uh, which was really cool, as well as in a call center in terms of like the attrition rate going down based on the interventions that we were implementing real time. Other stuff is more long ranging in terms of do this. And it's like, okay, well, that's going to take uh, six months or a year to to really kind of get rolled out. I don't actually know what the percentage was. Uh, I think it's pretty high. And I think it's kind of silly to spend that money if you're you're not going to do anything with it, if, if I were the business owner. I think the problems are in a couple of ways. You know, one, there's sort of, you know, resistance to change, reluctance, all all those kind of fundamental psychological things that that really is a part of it that can slow things down. And and then I think the other thing is I've heard the, I don't know, is it an aphorism, a phrase? It's consultants steal your watch and then tell you what time it is. And <laughs> it's just like, so I, we're going to spend all this time interviewing all these employees and then what we generate uh, may very well not be brilliantly unique in terms of, wow, that is an idea none of us have ever contemplated before. You people are geniuses. But what I find very helpful is that there are so many ideas, it's hard to know you know, what really has a great chance of, of working for us. And so While a lot of people might have a lot of ideas, it's kind of hard when you're doing your day-to-day to to say, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend four days in Excel doing research to see is that likely to pan out and and just what would be the economic impact. Just about nobody's got time for that when they are, are doing sort of their normal jobs associated with finance or marketing or accounting or operations. So in that sense, That's where a lot of the value comes in terms of, we're going to get real deep into all of your dirty databases, which never quite uh, align to one another, and then figure out what's really going on and provide a pathway forward. So I'll put it this way. If I had a $2 billion plus corporation, and I were the CEO of it, and I had a hunch that we could be making more money, and, but there's a lot of ideas swirling around there. I would be pleased to hire Bain to help me get after that. So that, that's my take. Uh, but certainly folks have, have wasted many a dollar on consulting recommendations that did nothing for them. If I wasn't clear, I would clarify
2: that I am high up on consultants and low down on the human
0: condition. Mm. That sounds very fitting for you.
2: Yeah, it's, it's been a very great experience going through them. Now, in some ways, maybe I'm just... Uh I kind of fear that if I'm not already in my midlife, I'm in my midlife crisis or whatever the case may be, or it's definitely over the hill that maybe this is just the anger that comes with being old. Uh, I'm coming up on a presentation to some college students. I was asking for some advice on Twitter. Like, what do you talk to college students about? I'm 14 years removed. I have no idea what they're doing out there. And I always told myself, I didn't want to be that old guy that got in front of the room. And I'm like, you know, when I had my typewriter and they're like, they check out they get on their phones. <laughs> and so it's, I know it can be done. I guess I'm still holding out for hope. You know, it's like the fairy tale that like it does get done. So it's good to hear that somewhere, somebody out there actually implemented a consultant's report.
1: That
0: is that is very comforting <laughs> and to I me.
1: can attest. I have seen it multiple times. <laughs> Sleep comfortable tonight. <laughs>
0: Yeah. It also has me thinking about the amount of money that's wasted, because I've also seen this, too, where consultants come in and then it's like, fantastic. We just spent thousands of dollars and we're still it's two years later and we're still doing the exact same thing. And that report is saved in a drive somewhere. Okay, great. Excellent use of money. But I digress. So you talked a little bit about uh, some of the sexy side of it, rolling in Land Rovers traveling across the country, you're meeting a lot of people who are higher up in companies, I presume. What are some of the behind the scenes things and without maybe, you know, throwing Bane under the bus, because I'm sure you still got some ties there, but what are some of the things about consulting that people don't know that are challenging? And I and I assume from what I've heard, as you move up, it gets a lot easier in a way. So for someone who's maybe just getting into it or thinking about this world or they're in that low to mid-level uh, not not even management, but just not that high on, on the totem pole. What what are some of those things that people don't know about consulting that probably aren't the greatest or should require some additional thought?
1: Maybe this is not a secret, but it, it, this was very well said. I, I was chatting with a colleague at a wedding. I was like, Hey, what's going on? You know, we're chatting, like catching up. You know, I, oh, you're still at Bain, da 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 da. And she's like, Yeah, I'm looking to to transition out shortly. And I said, Oh yeah, tell me about that. And she said. You know, those hours between maybe 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. where the rest of the world is, you know, doing their stuff and, and we're still working? I was like, oh, yeah. And she's like, I've come to learn that that is when life happens. And I thought that was that was well said. And, you know... At Bain, they, they mentioned that the the general rough expectation, you know, client needs will vary and, and the demands will be higher or lower in different weeks. But they say, hey, you can just kind of expect to spend 55 to 60 hours a week working. And so 55 to 60 is a lot more than 40. And you will feel that. And so I think that's really the, the crux of it all is is this stuff you know, sufficiently lucrative, interesting, mind-expanding, rewarding, exciting for you such that you care to spend that much time doing that, or is it not? I found it kind of frustrating at times in which I would I'd have a dinner plan on, let's say, Wednesday, Thursday. It's like, you know, we'll, we'll catch dinner at 7. And I'd say, oh, hey, can we do 7.30? It's like, sure. Oh, hey, can we do 8? Oh, sure. Hey, can we do 8.30? Sure. Oh, sorry. You know, it looks like I'm gonna have to cancel. Wah, wah. And so <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I've been on the giving end of that and the receiving end of that. And, and it's not so fun. It's also hard to predict, you know, in terms of you might not know, you know, a month from now, if you need to be needed in a particular city. And, and so it could be harder to, to make some of those plans. That was kind of the thing for me is I loved my colleagues. I, I loved many of the projects that I worked on. I really did feel like my gr- brain was growing and, and I found that exciting. But there were times I was just like, you know what? I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm not finding the time to, you know, uh, cook or get sort of good healthy meals going and exercising. And that I found it kind of challenging. But for me, the main driver was I, w- I learned... That was really cool with ex- consulting. I had a lot of different experience, and I learned. Hey, my favorite projects are the ones that really involve people. Yeah, people development. You know, learning skills, and transforming their experience of work. That's awesome for me. As well as I like the recruiting aspect and the, the presentations to the the different student groups when I was doing those. And and so that really helped kind of solidify. Hey, you know what I really want to do is this uh, people development work. And I also want to have more autonomy in terms of I'm going to decide if I'm going to work 60 hours in a week or 20 hours in a week and if I'm going to travel or not. And so, so it, it was a helpful learning experience for me. I am delighted that I, I started there. And, and I think that's kind of the crux of it for most people is, is this cool enough that you want to spend this many hours here? It's certainly more than a, a 40 hour experience, but it's certainly less than an investment banking experience.
0: And I think we'll talk more about that in a different context when we talk about how to be awesome at your job. And you started to get into this a bit here too. When did you kind of really start getting that entrepreneurial itch and decide, you know what, I need to make a
1: move? Well, what's what's interesting is I think that was there even before I started. You know, I had written a book in college and did a little bit of speaking associated with that and thought that was just a ton of fun. I enjoyed being on stage and I enjoyed... You know, making something and and selling it and 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 watching things kind of work. So that was there beforehand. And then in consulting, a lot of times it's sort of an expectation. The I guess the the harsh phraseology is they call it upper out. Like you can't just hang out as a senior associate consultant for ten years. You you either kind of need to be moving on up to you know consultant manager partner, or or you need to to exit. And so. In a way, that sounds harsh, but another way, none of us really minded because like, well, yeah, we, we want to be learning and growing and doing cool things. Otherwise, we're, we kind of don't want to hang around that much. So there was sort of a, a cultural understanding like, hey, so what are you thinking? You thinking you're going to go to business school in return? Are you thinking you're going to gun for a direct promotion? You think you're going to go to uh, private equity it was very popular or corporate strategy elsewhere was, was very popular. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to I think I want to be a, a speaker, author, coach, guru, which was not the most common uh, career path uh, for folks who, who started consulting. But how was that received? You know what? It was funny. Uh, <laughs> almost universally, it's almost like they read the same script or something. When I told them what I what I was thinking about doing. They said, well, now's the time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> huh. it's like, I'm not going to tell you that's crazy or that that's brilliant, but I'm, I'm going to make a comment that sure enough, when you're, when you're 25-ish, uh, unmarried, and, and sort of have a, a nice little uh, savings cushion from the consulting income is a great time to try something that has some risk to it. And, and I, I thought, you know what? You're right. And so I did it. I have a, I have a
2: question there, because uh, I think most people are risk averse. What I try to tell people then is to take calculated risk. So that sounds like that was a calculated risk with a probability for success that I assume that you then found was at least 51%. Hopefully you thought it was 80-20. But how did you know that that was a risk that you wanted to take that might be a
1: successful venture? Well, you know what's so funny is that all of the the skills we learned associated with evaluating a, a business or an industry or an opportunity and, and, and the quantitative stuff, I didn't do a ton of that what really boiled down for me was, all right, here's the deal. I've got over 400 days worth of savings. I really like the speaking people development stuff. I've seen what other people are getting paid per gig. And I think that I'm better than them in that topic domain area. And and I had some evaluations, you know, that kind of suggested that in terms of, hey, you know, 20 people spoke at this event. You know, let me look at the, the ratings, you know, top to bottom. Okay, number one, number two, number three. Okay, I'm, I'm doing all right. I think that this could work out. But what I failed to really do was, and I really should have, is, is zero in on, all right, fundamentally, what is my offering? Who am I serving? How is that going to be distinctive or better than others? What's going to be my path to acquire customers? Like, like these, these fundamental things, I probably should have had a little better handle on, but I was just like, hey, man, I'll speak about like whatever. <laughs> and uh, so it took me a while to get my, my focus. And, and those were some times where the, the savings were draining and until I really had some things locked in. You say 400 days of savings? That's
0: right. Why 400 days? <laughs> or is that just the, the number that you happen to have and then you divided by the cost of monthly expenses? Well, why 400 days of savings?
1: That wasn't necessarily the the specific goal up front, but I had a great mentor. Uh, his name is Maui Asgadam, super cool dude, uh, does some speaking, just recently sold his company to ACT. So nice job, Maui. Uh, great guy. He was our first guest on the podcast, actually. So just a, a tremendous influence in my life. And he, I said, hey, you know what? I'm thinking about doing this speaking thing full time. And he said, save some of that Bane coin. It might take a year before you, you get up and going. It's like, okay, good tip, thank you. But that, that number arrived because I made a fun little spreadsheet because that, this is one thing I did do did. with my spreadsheets and my planning. And I was like, all right, so let's take a look at all of the expenses that show up. Like, oh, now I got to pay my own health insurance. Okay, there's the rent, there's the, the cell phone, there's the internet, etc. Et and then let's look at how frequently these expenses uh, occur. But some, of the, some of them are monthly, some of them, you know, might be quarterly. And, and then I, I kind of put it all into the common language of dollars per day. It's like, all right, that's what the costs are looking like. And, and now let's see what's that pot of savings look like. And so then we, when we divide, we see, okay, there we go. It's over 400. And I'll tell you what, that gave me so much comfort. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have any revenue coming in this week or this month. It was like, this is freaky. It's like, all right, Pete, well, here's the thing. I, I, I had to keep you know, calming myself down, giving me these internal pep talks. Like, you know, even if you have zero revenue, for 400 days, you're not going to be dead broke. And if you are dead broke, you're not going to sort of die in a gutter or, or automatically declare bankruptcy. You're just going to have to get a normal job. And so I told myself that the alternative was cheese strategy, just because it seems like a number of consultants ended up at Kraft Foods doing. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, so that's the thing. I'm just going to have to, you know, put on pants each workday and maybe truck it out to the suburbs and say, oh, there's some really interesting things happening in, in grated cheddar. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it might not be the most, most fun or meaningful, but it will, it'll use my brain and I'll interact with some sharp people. And that's really what the alternative is here, is that I'll just have to get another job that I don't like quite as much. So that's a far cry from being uh, near dead in a gutter somewhere, you know?
0: Yeah, that's a... Huge difference, and I'm glad that that's not where you ended up. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and so you had this comfort, but then I also get the sense, and you let me tell me if I'm wrong, that you were someone who may have been good about staying within budget because you could look like you have 400 days, but your spending habits, and if you're going out on the weekend, you're doing this, that, and the third. That 400 days could easily become 300 days in 285 days then 270 days way before you planned for that to happen so is that the case are you someone who's good at at staying within a budget or and or were there things that you did to make sure that you weren't going above that daily max
1: well, well the way i thought about it was okay, here's all the recurring expenses. And then, you know, there's just going to be some other stuff that happens. You're going to go to a wedding, you know, you're going to uh, have some drinks with friends or whatever. And so I, I came down to a, a number of, okay, so what's just sort of like the the fun money that's left over? And so it's maybe 50 or 60 bucks a day for whatever. After the groceries, which I know I'm going to buy, is like, this is just there. And so that's what I found is I didn't have to have a whole lot of categories and and sort of say, oh, my my budget for, the transportation is in excess by 20%. You know, I, I didn't do any of that. I just say, like, all right. So for stuff that's not sort of recurring and already baked in, spend less than 50-ish bucks a day or 350 bucks a week on those things and and you're going to be fined for that. So yeah, I, I was pretty good at sticking with it. And, and a lot of the benefit was, you know, I had three roommates and they were working, not from home, and I was working from home. So I had a big old apartment all to myself during the workday, which is pretty cool, and didn't have to pay much for it. I, I have been carless now for 13 years. We've got two kids under two. We are looking at minivans now. So any, any month, we're going to pull the trigger, and I will return to the land of, of being a vehicle owner. So I didn't really feel deprived. It's just like I'm, I'm having fun. You know, I could take an Uber, places I need to go. And I'm with some some great friends in a great apartment. So it's all good.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that you were vehicleless for the past 13 years. So that is an interesting fact to me. And I'm trying to imagine that life. And I'd say when I lived in New York, I had a car, Altima Jones, but I probably only drove it really on the weekends. I probably spent more time moving that car from one side of the street to the other for when the street sweeper came by. So I wouldn't get a ticket than I would for actually driving. I'm not sure if it's like that in,
1: uh, in Chicago, too. Is it like that there? Depending on, on where you are, you know, they can have some street sweeping situation going on. And right now we're doing what I guess the cool kids call a house hack in which we bought a, a, a building. And so we are in one unit and renting out the other. So that's handy. And there's even a garage we could use, but we're renting that out too right now.
0: <laughs> Wait. Not for like living purposes, right?
1: (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) 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 Yeah, we got two people sleeping in the garage and one in the crawl space. (laughs) We're maximizing (laughs) the cash flow on this. No, just for their car. They're they're, they're fixing up an old Subaru and they needed uh, two spaces instead of one for all their cool equipment. So it's like, have at it, buddy. So, So we collect rent there too. And how
0: long have you been a property
1: owner? That's about two years.
0: Okay.
2: Question there, was that by strategy or coincidence? Did you buy that property knowing you were going to
1: like you said coincidentally life hack or, or house hack I should say, or did you just stumble into it? It was very deliberate and what happened was I was enjoying a lovely low rent. So in in Chicago, I was splitting it was technically a 3 bedroom, 3 bathroom and a dining room and living room, but we turned the dining room into a fourth bedroom because we could put the dining room table on part of the living room and it's all good. So, so I was enjoying a nice low rent in a, a fun neighborhood. So I was parting with maybe $650 a month. And I had uh, the small bedroom and, and I shared my bathroom with a guy in, in the dining room. You could easily spend way more than that on an apartment in Chicago in a pleasant neighborhood. And then when I got married, sure enough, we had a two bedroom, one's for the office that I'm using. And I saw my rent was now like 2,300 bucks a month for the two of us. And I know, hey, people in San Francisco is like, that's a bargain. <laughs> you know, but, but, yeah. but I was just like, I can't stand this. I did not care for it. I was like, all right, let's get creative. What, what can we do here? And then I had a couple buddies who did that house hack. And I was like, well, that seems to be working out well for them let's take a look. And so sure enough, uh, we found a property that met our needs and, and away we went.
0: Did you do like the, the massive down payment thing or did you do, because there's the, oh, you know, you can get a home without putting anything down, which I would not go that route. And so was it a situation where you had the money ready to go and then you just put down the down payment and then that was it
1: and you moved on, got tenants and all was happily ever after? We had a modest down payment, and and I deliberately didn't want to put us into a, a tight cash position, just because I know for me, I, I lived at once. You know, entrepreneurship uh, each month's revenue is kind of uncertain, and so I thought, all right, we are, want to have some cushion. Plus, I know there's going to be some repairs and some remodels and things that we're going to do. So we ended up using this program called. Freddie Mac Home Possible, which was really cool because it's based upon certain uh, census tracts. And so, when the census was done in uh, 2010, this neighborhood it, it wasn't th- the bestest, and it qualified for being okay under this program. Whereas now, the neighborhood has improved, you know, substantially. So, so that's kind of cool, you know, with regard to. Uh, just that some of the quality of the of the units and 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 the properties and and the rents have have gone up and and the building values have appreciated such that it probably won't qualify for that when the the 2020 census comes around. But anyway, long story short, we put five percent down on the building, which was about four hundred sixty thousand dollars was the the sale price of the building, and, and then you got your closing costs and all that. When we took possession, we still had some good cushion that we were working with rather than doing the 20%, which we could have done, but that, that would have just felt kind of uncomfortable for me.
0: Makes sense. Makes total, complete sense and, and appreciate the, uh, the candor and honesty around that process. So going a bit back, as we talk, we've been talking a little bit about money here, what was your experience with money growing up?
1: Well, it was really kind of fun. My mom worked as a teller in a credit union and it was the Education Personnel Federal Credit Union in Danville, Illinois, and which means it's for education personnel. So all of my teachers deposited their checks, remember checks, <laughs> uh, <laughs> at this facility with my mom. So if I did anything good or bad, I would get to hear about it twice because they were, they were pretty much synced up on, on a regular basis. It was interesting because, you know, she would teach me things associated with, with bankruptcy. Wow. That, and I learned to, to fear that early on. She, she would say, boy, they, they, just don't, they just don't pay that money back. It just, it just goes away. And I also learned some lessons about, I guess what we might call hustle these days. My, my mom noticed that the CEO of the organization was vacuuming the floor after work. Hmm. And she said, well, hey, I know how to vacuum. I don't see why the CEO has to do that. And so she volunteered for that. And and so that was the beginning of some initiative that led her to get some promotions and then do some extra schooling and and courses and certifications until she ultimately became her successor. And and then she was the the CEO of the credit union. So I thought that was really cool. I was proud of my mom for for doing that. And and it made a nice imprint to watch that. It's like, oh, okay. So if you show some initiative and if you learn some stuff, you can rise on up. Noted.
0: We're taking a quick break from our chat with Pete to tell you about a couple special offers. If you're like me, the holiday season means travel season. And when I'm traveling, I'm not trying to lug a supreme size suitcase that's going to get ripped the first time it shows up at baggage claim. I need something lightweight and durable that looks good when it goes into the overhead bin. That's why I love my Away bigger carry-on suitcase. I've traveled more this year than ever before, and I never head to the airport without it. The 360-degree motion wheels come in handy when I'm hustling to my gate, and the built-in removable battery allows me to charge my phone without searching for an outlet. So whether I'm on the go or I'm on the chill, Away has me covered. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com/paychecks and use promo code Paychecks during checkout. Again, that's awaytravel.com slash paychecks and promo code paychecks at checkout for 20 bucks off. If after 100 days you aren't happy, you can return it as long as you haven't personalized the suitcase with stickers or other custom markings the University of California Irvine's winter registration is open. UCI's online classes offer the flexibility and convenience you need and an immersive classroom experience to keep you focused. One of the great things about UCI's courses is that they're taught by industry experts with real world experience. They're not just waxing academic in a way that won't translate to professional life. If you're thinking about getting a new role in the new year, make sure you have the skills and knowledge to set you apart. It's competitive out there and one of UCI's certificate or specialized study programs could be the difference maker. To check out their offerings and sign up for a course, visit CE.uci.edu slash paychecksbalances and enter paychecks at checkout for 15% off one course. That's CE.uci.edu slash paychecksbalances and enter promo code paychecks for 15% off one course. This offer is only valid through December 31st, 2019 at 1159 p.m. And now back to the show. That's got to be like the best example ever like that. That's like a that's like a real started from
1: the bottom now I'm here or now I'm up here story. She had a, a college degree and and she was a teacher prior to to that. And I think that part of the reason she took that job is cuz she could have some kind of part-time work to do with some more child rerun. and and then they were flexible with regard to you know, is it the, the summer or the school year and and how many days was she working? And, and then that's kind of why she, she shifted there and then moved on up.
0: I think this is also a good segue into talking about how to be awesome at your job because clearly she was awesome at her job and became the CEO. So How do you look at the concept of being awesome at your job? Because it seems very obvious, but I'm sure if you talk to different people, they're going to have different philosophies on this. So when you say being awesome at your job, what does that mean to you?
1: There's so much there. I'm just going to say, fundamentally, you are performing well in that you are executing on what is important to the organization, your team, your manager, yourself uh, such that it's, it's delightful in terms of the, the results that are flowing and that you're learning and growing and, and doing better uh, over time.
2: I love that. I love that. Does that answer change any for the entrepreneur, the solopreneur, the business owner who's
1: working for themselves? That's a fine question. Uh, but what's tricky here is, and I've learned this from Numerous business failures and things that didn't quite work out is you can bring all of your brilliance, you can bring all of your your hard work and initiative and, and creativity, to executing something that the market just doesn't want. So that is an interesting distinction there because in a way you are awesome in that you are you've got talent, you're applying that talent, you're committed, and yet results aren't coming. So. That's almost philosophical. I would say, you know, hey, well, I believe all, all human beings have intrinsic worth and value fundamentally. So, you know, you're, you're awesome as a human being. And, and as if we're measuring entrepreneurial success, I would say, I saw this from the TV show, The Good Place. <laughs> it's not that you're not awesome. It's just that you're pre-successful. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're still finding your way. And, and that could take some time.
0: Now, this strikes a bit of a nerve or rather, you know what? I'll say it resonates because, you know, I've always had a day job and I've done various things online with, you know, blogs, websites. Now we have a podcast and I can remember when I started a blog years back and, you know, I'm like, I'm a good writer. I'm putting all this thought into it. I know how things work behind the scene. I'm gonna put this article out here. It's going to be fire crickets. Did that 10 times, Yeah, still crickets. And one thing that I've found distinctly different between the entrepreneurial world and the day job world is that in the day job world, it's it's kind of A plus B equals C. I know that if I do this, I will get this outcome. If I produce these results, I will get meets or exceeds expectations. I will get this bonus. If I get this experience, it will make it easier for me to land the next job. So, and that's why you hear a lot of people, at least to me, talk about the day job as the game, or going to work and playing the game. Whereas in entrepreneurship, you can play the game, and even if you follow the rules, you can very easily still lose. What do you think about that?
1: No, it's true, and I mean, you know, the risk is real, and so I think when when Marcus was talking about calculated risks, I think that that's very wise with regard to. All right, so to what extent? Have you really validated? This is something people want. This is something that the people are willing to pay for. Hopefully, you've made a couple of sales, and you see tons of potential to just put more time into a given activities, which will generate more sales. I think I got a lot of messaging from all my sort of leadership development stuff that I participated in in, in high school and college. Like you know, follow your dreams, pursue your passion, and and you know, I think it's in a way that's, that's good advice in terms of, of living a, a life that you enjoy. Uh, from an economic perspective, you got to be careful because I think some passions get you paid and, and, and some passions don't. Ooh,
0: that's very poignantly said. Good sir. And as for those who are in day jobs, what are some of the biggest barriers you think people face in terms of being awesome at their jobs and how can they overcome them? So these could be misconceptions, mindset things, just things that, that you've seen from people that you've talked to and work with that become challenges that some folks may not even realize are there.
1: Sure thing. Well, I, I could point to a lot, but I'm just going to start with maybe three in terms of fundamentally. You know, do you care? I mean, d- do you give a hoot about the results you're producing, what your organization, your team is about, and and the quality that you're you're putting out there? And because I, I think that it's quite possible to to go through the motions and you know uh, execute the tasks that are put before you, but it doesn't matter so much to you. And I I think that's really kind of fundamental. I think we all have days maybe where sometimes you just don't. And if you can kind of reorient to, all right, who, who does this serve and what difference does this make? You know, I'm big on purpose. I think that that could really be huge. And, and if there's just no way you can get there, I recommend finding a different opportunity where you can get there I interviewed Gary Burnison, who's the CEO of Corn Fairy, on the podcast, and, and I really liked the way he, he put it. He said, "You know, if you go for happiness, because if if you're happy, you're more likely to exert extra effort, and if you exert extra effort, you're more likely to to see success and results and good things flow." And so, so I think that's kind of fundamental. Is if there's just like not even a glimmer of interest or or or, or benefit or Purpose that you're into within the job, then it, it's going to be really hard to to be awesome at it. So, so I think that's kind of the the foundation. There is is there's some level of caring going on. I will open with
2: this is potentially a difficult one, so there is no right or wrong answer. Uh, it's Just more of a thought process. So, tying this all together, um, you had mentioned earlier that when you were talking to others about leaving the job, I uh, really like the mentor comment, and I think it's good to have that space where somebody's encouraging you, even in something that may be scary. But you also said a lot of people said, well, this is the time to do it. 25, no kids, unmarried. For that individual who has or can't check those boxes, I think that then salary and money start to come into play. So I thought that was a great quote. Some passions get you paid, some don't. For those that don't, there's things that I do. There's things I do right now. Uh, I try to do them consciously. I spend a lot of hours doing them. I'm very passionate about them. They're very personally exciting to me. I'm invigorated. I wake up in the, in the middle of the night. I pull up notes in my phone. I got the phone glowing. I'm trying not to work, uh, wake up my girl. <laughs> but they make me no money whatsoever. What is the place of peace for that person? Or is there one? Or do you just accept that state of being?
1: You might. Sometimes that is the right answer. Like In terms of maybe you're passionate about a triathlon or, or music or soccer, like any number of activities, you know, can really bring richness and joy and fullness to life, even if they, they are not putting dollars in, in your bank account. And so and that can be cool. It's like, hey, I want to make this thing just because it's fun to make. I'm going to put this out in the world because I think the world will be enriched by having had it put out there. And and I feel good that I did so. And it doesn't matter if I make a dime off of it. And and I think that's, that's good and fine. Now, if you're having a lot of these ideas and, and the hope and dream is that it's, it is indeed going to turn into, into money. Well, well, then I think you really do need to to get rigorous associated with your evaluations. You know, you are, you're surveying people, you're interviewing people, you are trying to, to make a prototype and, and sell the thing and, and see if it goes. I, I think that if it is important that your time turn into money in an initiative then I think you really do want to spend some some good efforts validating that before you take the leap away from a, a healthy salary.
0: Yeah. And that's something that we've heard from a few guests recently, the importance of validating the idea versus going all in and just parachuting out. And then you're like, okay, this isn't going to work. And now you're trying to get back to your old job. And you mentioned as far as the, the awesomeness factor, number one was do you care? Like, do you have any type of connection to the work? And you mentioned that you might have a, a couple of other things that people should think about as well.
1: Oh, sure thing. Well, then I think the next thing is getting alignment on, you know, what really matters here in this workplace. You know, you might uh, put forth a lot of hours, but that might not necessarily be the thing that is is appreciated depending on what you're doing. So for example, my favorite example of this is my, I had a buddy who is a lawyer and he was really sharp. And so he thought that quality meant in his law firm, creating the most beautifully crafted briefs and motions, you know, masterpieces of legal writing, like, see, isn't this excellent? And it turned out that for the partners at the firm, no, that was not at all excellent. You know, based on the way they were billing their clients, what they considered quality was just getting more output so, hey, provide the brief or motion with the minimum amount of time that is going to get the result that we want and then crank out some more. So I think that that's important to watch out for is what's important here to the organization, to the team, to your manager, and then how can you execute on that well? And, and make sure that you're in alignment with that. Otherwise, you could be spending hours on, on stuff that is is not so impactful. And, and if you've heard of the 80-20 rule, I am, I'm a huge advocate. It's that uh, 80% of results tend to come from 20% of efforts. And and I really just recommend, to the extent that possible, to be constantly, vigilantly reprioritizing and saying, all right, this is going to make a big impact. And so I'm going to try to spend as many hours on those things and as few hours on, on pointless meetings as possible.
0: It's interesting with that one, because I know sometimes the, the media and more impactful things at work are the things that take a lot more time. There's often the things that'll put you outside of your comfort zone. And I found myself doing this in the past where there's this meaty thing that I could be doing. And because I don't know what the heck I'm doing, or I need some guidance on that thing, or because it's gonna take me more time, I put that off. And instead I focus on these little things like email or creating these beautiful meeting notes or some of these other tasks that they bring me satisfaction in the sense that I can say that I accomplished something but in terms of actually moving the needle they don't do much overall are there additional ways that people can think about during the day to kind of check themselves and say am i doing something that's actually meaningful to the organization or am i doing something that just makes me feel good in the moment and i do think that there's a place for that like coming in and feeling like even if you got through your email first thing in the morning and that makes you feel accomplished i think there is a place for that but that time management and prioritization piece is is huge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I recommend that you put it directly on your calendar, and and ideally, if you could have a very polite "do not disturb" sign on your office or your seat or the doors closed or, or some kind of indicator, or you disappear into a little little side room, some means by which you can do that deep work and and focus in on that hard stuff, because it is natural. You're right to to want to. To coast at times. And I just encourage you to find a space on your calendar where you can be uninterrupted and have some good, brilliant mental energy to execute. And for me, that is at 8am to 930am is what I call my $1,000 an hour, hour and a half time, you know, that's sort of like the top time slot. And it's the first thing and, and I don't look at the the email until after I, I handle that. So that's how, where I found it. Other people might find, boy, you know what? Right after I eat lunch and surpass the, the post-lunch sleepy time, that's when I'm really cruising and, and, and on fire. So I'd say to the extent that you can allocate your most brilliant hours to your most uh, meaningful stuff, kind of get proactive and do that and, and guard that time however you can within your context.
0: I love that, man. I'm definitely a a fan of. uh, So we don't have offices or cubes, but we do. We are able to put DNS on our calendar. And I'm I'm very specific about that. And when someone schedules over it, because sometimes people are oh DNS, you know, he's I see him at his desk. Like, let's have it. No, we are not meeting. Decline. Like, no. (laughs) Reschedule a request. We are not meeting right now because even though I'm at my desk and it looks like I'm not doing anything. This, these are my valuable mental hours before my brain turns back into a pumpkin. And I need to use this time to do the stuff that would be a lot more taxing later in the day. So I definitely love that idea.
2: And I I think that's important as well. Uh, And the reason I want to highlight that, I think it might maybe for your younger listeners, I think uh, listeners are age and up. I'll just say the mature. Yes. Mature listeners would be like, oh, yeah, of course, that makes perfect sense. But for the younger skew, I, you know, everything's so constant, so go, you got to check every social media and everything like that. And I went through a whole exercise there. But I think people underestimate because you're always doing so much, how much value can come from a pure hour of just focus time, like you said, your $1,000 hour. Uh, and I've seen that as well, and I've recommended it to a lot of people. It's just like, actually slow down and think <laughs> for 60 minutes. And the funny thing is a lot of people, you know, they never have time. They're too busy and everything like that. But when they're forced to take 60 minutes to think, they can't think of enough stuff to fill 60 minutes. I really think that's a very beneficial and a good habit to either start practicing or even if if it's a smaller time frame. But I think people are constantly overwhelmed because they're constantly moving. And it's actually some of that purity that comes from
1: standing still. Great tip there. And if you can't find an hour, hey, if it's half an hour or, or twenty minutes, I think that's that's still valuable, just so you can be getting that momentum going on on the meaty thing and, and so that might just be enough so that it's in your background brain so that new cool ideas are are coming to you and and you're not on empty next time,
2: yeah, I'm going through this um, I feel like uh back when Rich and I got into this vicious spiral of writing um <laughs> battle raps. <laughs> Oh, like I, I, <laughs> I'm constantly writing blogs now because, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to, we're going to move the blog back up to three times. So I'm like, how the hell can I come up with a hit to 150 post of content? So now I got what would have been my mixtape wrap, just a notepad uh, in, in my iPhone of just like sentences. Like I'll be walking, you know, through my, through the cubicles or whatever there. And somebody will say something funny. I'm like, Ooh, that'd be great in the blog. And then I write two or three sentences. So I'm writing thousand word blogs, six sentences at a time. Cool. And like that, that's, that's what it could be for whatever that exercise is going to be for that individual. I like that. I guess micro accomplishments.
0: Yeah. That's like me with, so you have the notepad for your raps with bars and slashes for everything. I've got Evernote. So every time I come across an article that could be an idea for something, a topic, every time I have a random thought, or even sometimes if I just, like I'm angry about something, I might write a brief paragraph and come back and look at it and be like, oof, I was salty about that really insignificant thing. But that's become uh, my trusted tool for kind of capturing notes on the go and making sure that they're legible and that I can find and read them from anywhere. So I know a lot of folks know about Evernote, but for those who don't, great tool to use. The last thing that I wanted to hit while while we're on, and it's kind of about making a career transition. And I think a, a lot of us reach a point where at least in one role, we feel down or wonder if we need to make a change. And so how can people know when they're ready and what steps can they take to prepare?
1: And that's a big question. And, and in terms of, you know, is it appropriate to make the change? And, and, and I built a whole course about this called Do I Stay or Go? And I think that the coolest part of it at least, what took the most time was we we I mean, made this assessment so that we can sort of identify. All right, there are different things that drive happiness for people in in a job, and so for some it's just like, hey man, I just need the money. Others it's about purpose, uh, flexibility. You know, not too much uh, total hours that they have to deal with, and and so I think that's really key is to just get clear on on what's most important to you in a job, and you can just do some of that thinking time, or you can you know take the assessment. Glad to have you. And then see, well, all right, well, then if that's what really matters to me, how well is this job stacking up? And then how well are the alternatives stacking up? And that can really help you ask a lot better questions beyond just about, you know, compensation and benefits like, hey, tell me or say, or generically, hey, how's the culture? Tell me just how many hours are people working each week? That's what I need to know. Is this kind of a chill, hey, 30, 40, whatever, or is it an intense like 60, 70? To what extent is it permissible to, to work from home or, or not at all? How much is there a lot of approvals and meetings about the meeting, about the meeting versus, hey, we just go, just go execute and do things. So, so the things that really matter to you, you can start asking more intelligent questions to zero in on that to see, is your job really a disappointment? Or is there, in fact, real opportunities out there that are a better fit for you based upon what matter to you? So I think it starts with that, that thinking and that introspection and that research associated with, with, with the opportunities. You also asked about you know, preparing for it. Are you talking about in terms of, of executing the, the networking, the resume stuff or, or in what way do you mean prepare?
0: I think part of what I'm getting at is the proactive aspect of it because what I found and I've been this person is that people will stay in a job and at the point that they want to leave, they're desperate. They're at the point that they're burnt out. They hate their job. And now they're so desperate to get out that they just want to an offer any offer. They just want to be anywhere but there. And when we're in that reactive state, we lose a bit of control. We're not thinking as clearly. So I think reframing that question a bit, what are some of the things that folks should proactively be doing so that when they do come to that conclusion that, you know what, I'm not going to wait until I absolutely hate it. Like I realize that I'm starting to have these feelings about the role rather than it being a mad scramble and desperation to just parachute out or rocket out and land anywhere. Some of the things that people should kind of be doing proactively so that if something does come about, so maybe someone isn't even looking for a new job, but a magical opportunity comes about and they're just completely unprepared for it. What are some of those things that people can proactively be doing so that when they do get to that point, when they start to feel like it might be time to make a transition and they ask themselves some of those reflective questions and they land on a yes, they're ready to go.
1: Part of it is just keep your networks in great order, you know, with regard to you're seeing who's doing cool stuff and you're staying in touch with those people and you're sort of like planting some seeds like, hey, it sounds like you're doing some really cool stuff. Let me know if anything pops up and then that that seed might come to fruition instantly or or months, months from then. And then it, it's cool that you've sort of built the... Well, before you're thirsty, as i've heard it said, and so that's great there, as well as just keeping your your, your resume stuff and good in your LinkedIn stuff in good hygiene shape condition like I recommend whenever you achieve something cool, take a crack at putting that into a resume bullet well, it doesn't need to be perfect, but in terms of hey i 'm going to try to articulate this cool thing I just did in, in one or, or two sentences or bullets, and then I can refine it later and then when it does come to that Moment where oh there's an opportunity and like, oh yeah send me your resume so I'm like oh shoot uh, that's uh, four years old it, it's sort of like oh okay cool well I, I've got a, a nice menu of bullets I can choose from and I'll <laughs> I'll have uh, bullet A and bullet C and bullet G and uh, do a little tweak and oh here you go I was able to give you my resume and an hour after you asked for it how about that I
0: love that I love that man and Pete it has been awesome. Having you on the podcast. I know we hit a lot on the finance side of things. We also talked a lot on the uh, career side of things, obviously. Is there a parting piece of advice that you would give to people? And then where can folks find you on the social media and also find
1: the assessment if they want to take it? My parting piece of advice is, and and I've learned, had an awesome guest, Mary Abijay, who talked about managing your manager. And she said that fewer than 1% of all the people she's talked to have done this thing, which I recommend you do, which is take some time to just sync up with your manager in terms of, hey, what's most important to you? What are you working on? What is something that you really love when people do? That, so what's something that frustrates you? How do you prefer to communicate? Like, like these things, it's almost like we just sort of assume and, and we don't actually have the conversation. But when you do, I could tell you uh, as a boss, I love it when people do it. It's, it's not weird or awkward. It might feel that way just because you've never done it, but it really speaks volumes in terms of, oh, this guy's really thinking about me and trying to serve me and, and, and meet my needs and preferences. That's awesome. And you, you sort of diffuse a lot of frustrations and, and, and set yourself up for all kinds of good stuff. So that might be one challenge is to sit down have a conversation and align on on those sorts of things. How do we define quality? What are you working on? What are your, your preferences in terms of how we collaborate? Just nail that well and it can serve you for the rest of the time and the role. In terms of finding more about me, the podcast is called How to Be Awesome at Your Job. We got that yellow logo. So I, I'd love it if you gave it a listen. We also have the, the transcripts and, and summary gold nugget notes from the guests at awesomeatyourjob.com. And it'd be fun to fun to meet you over there. Cool. And how about on the social medias? You know, I don't do a ton of that, but my, my favorite is LinkedIn. I have a base level presence on, on the Facebook fan page and Twitter, but LinkedIn is my favorite because I, I see stuff that I really care to, to read there. And I actually kind of get to know people a little bit when they connect. So I welcome your connection requests.
0: Awesome. We'll make sure we get a link to that in the show notes. And Pete, thanks again for coming on the show, man. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Oh, thanks. It's a blast.
0: Thanks again to Pete for coming on the podcast, debunking some things about consulting life and sharing how he landed where he is today. For me, the road to wealth begins with good career decisions, so we hope you found Pete's words useful. And when I think about my own life, thoughtful career lessons have led to me being in the role that I am today, a role that I find both challenging and enjoyable, or at least as enjoyable as a day gig could possibly be. So I challenge you, regardless of how much you like or dislike your current gig, be dope at it. And always be thinking a step ahead. Always be thinking about what that next potential opportunity could be and make sure that you're doing some of the things to ensure that you get there. And if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share with your network and hit us with those five stars in Apple Podcasts and say a few words about the show. Today's review of the week comes from Danny0827. Title on this one reads, Relatable, Real, and Honest, Five Stars. I stumbled upon this podcast searching for some help about financial freedom and the majority of all the other podcasts I would run into were ones that I couldn't relate to. I'm not in a wealthy tax bracket. I don't own real estate. I'm not married with two incomes. I don't have the six-figure income yet. I'm just a millennial making the average salary with average credit card debt, student loan debt, and looking for a way out of the dumb mistakes made as a young adult. These guys show you and tell you how they keep it real and then add some laughs in between. Love it. So, Danny 827 really appreciate those five stars. And if you'd like to find us on social, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Pay Balances, and on Facebook at Paychecks and Balances. You can find our individual accounts at the Marcus Garrett with one T on Twitter, two T's everywhere else. And I'm available at I am Rich Jones. Thanks for listening. And as I said up top, we'll be back in December. Until then, be safe. We out. Peace.